Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Eddie Lenehan once more here. Now, I think, if my memory is serving me right, (laughs) I'm getting old, you know, that I said previously that animals and Irish people were very close. And so they were. So they were. Animals surrounded us and do still surround us and hopefully will surround us. But domestic animals especially, because Irish people depended so much on them. And let me tell you a few stories today about such animals. Now, I'll try to confine myself today as much as I can to the domestic kind. And there was, according to the old people at least, a time when all the animals could speak. Well, maybe they still do. Because remember, some people speak to their animals yet. I speak to my dog all the time. And the way he looks at me, with those brown eyes, I think he's trying to talk to me. But that's for another day. They believed, the old people, that there was a time when the animals spoke to each other. And... There was a cat and a dog. (laughs) Now, I have to say that I don't like cats as much as dogs. I always have had a dog. Now I have two dogs. I never had a cat. But then again, nobody has a cat. Cats are independent kinds of animals. And I respect cats. 
I'd feed a cat. But I I have I have not a fear of cats, but they go their own way. They look at you in a peculiar way as if to say <laughs> a foolish human being to think that I owe you anything. A dog looks at you differently. But as to the story that's told. There was a cat and a dog on a farm, on this particular farm, and they were always arguing and fighting as regards who should be inside and who should be outside. And of course, the cat was usually inside by the fire, uh, warming himself. And the poor dog, a sheep dog, was outside, under the patch. Mm, mm, I, don't, I don't mean under it, but I mean under where the drip, 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 drip down from the thatch would be on a wet day. The drop down, as they called it. And uh, the poor dog, did you ever see anything as miserable looking as a wet sheep dog? Or any dog for that matter. The poor dog, the one that was doing the hard work, uh, rounding up the cattle, rounding up the sheep. And there he was on a wet day looking miserable while he'd look in the door and see the cat inside by the fireside looking out at him as if to say you stupid looking animal <laughs> here I am and there you are uh, looking like a fool. The farmer heard all this going on one day when he was passing by in the yard with his buckets and he thought to himself wait a minute now Wait a minute now, <laughs> there's something wrong here. And he confronted the tomb and he said, lads, lads, hold on a minute. Huh? We'll have to see about this. And he said, look, the next fine day that comes, I'm going to sort this out. And he did. The next Thursday was a lovely fine day. And he said, come on, come on, man, man. And down two fields he took them. From the house and he said no look he said the first one of you that's home first we'll have a little race first one home my wife she's above there standing on the kitchen door and first one of you that's into the kitchen past her that's the one that'll be inside in the kitchen from now on and the other one of you can stay outside is that fair well of course they had to agree that seemed fair enough Right, he said, and he made a mark with the heel of his shoe, or his boot, I suppose, there on the ground. He stood back, and he whistled, and off they went, hell for leather, for the kitchen door. And now, of course, <laughs> well, the cat might have uh, led for a few yards with a sprint, but sure, it only stood to reason that <laughs> the dog, the sheep dog would uh, gain ground and ground and ground and was bound to win in the end because it was only an ordinary tabby cat and the dog was gaining and gaining and gaining the nearer they got to the farmyard and the door and when they came into the yard Arash of the dog was well ahead but just as they got into the yard by the main gate who came in by the little side gate except the postman with two letters in his hand and 
The dog saw the postman just as the postman saw the dog. And you know as well as I do that dogs don't like men with uniforms, be they the guards or the postman or the telegram boy or whatever it is. Dogs don't like them. They have something against uniforms. I don't know what it is, but they have by instinct. And the dog made for the postman. And the postman kicked out at the dog. And the fight started. And meanwhile, the cat was catching up, catching up gradually. He came into the yard, took one glance at the guffuffle that was going on over there near the other gate. And he leapt for the door where the farmer's wife was standing in beside her into the kitchen and that was it now meanwhile meanwhile the postman saw that help with the leather letters why should i be holding on to two bloody letters and risking my life with an amount of a dog here he dumped the letters and out the small gate opened his bicycle and off and the dog sat down on his backside looked around him as if to say, <laughs> didn't I do a good job guarding the property? But there was silence. The farmer's wife just looked at him, and the farmer looked at him as if to say, you bloody Egypt. And the cat looked around the farmer's wife <laughs> and stared at him and Hard. And then the dog realised, oh, the race was lost. And from that day to this, cats usually spend their time inside, in comfort, while the poor dog is condemned to spend his time outside, in the cold and in the rain, due to to his own stupidity. So no matter what I think of cats, I have to admit that they are cleverer than dogs. But there is one thing that even cat owners can't deny. And just let my little drop of tea come into my hand here because I love tea and tea goes with stories. Yeah. as they used to say in Irish. The thing about cats and dogs is that no matter what cat lovers might say about dogs, there's two animals only that can see the other world. And one of them is not a cat. You'll often see cats and witches and all the rest of it and broomsticks which might suggest that cats are the ones that can see the other world, but they're not. The two animals that can are dogs and horses. I heard a f funny, funny, peculiar, not funny, haha, -ha story one time about a man who, a true story this, he was a wonderful man with horses. You could talk to them. And you know yourself that in times gone by, blacksmiths particularly had to be very, very good with horses because 
if a big strong stallion, for example, came into a forge, which used to be changed, uh, if that stallion kicked a smith, he could kill him. Now, a smith had to know, naturally, about horses. The man I'm going to tell you about wasn't a smith, but he could talk to horses. He was, you might say, a horse whisperer. He wasn't a smith, but smiths often sent for him in order to calm a horse that they needed to hew. He had some kind of power over horses. A very strange man. He wasn't a big man, but he seemed to have been born with this power over horses to be able to calm them, calm them. Now, he was a kind man, a good neighbour. Maybe that's what had something to do with this, because people who are kind, it often translates into power over animals as well. But a neighbour of his was sick. The wife of the neighbour, excuse me, was sick, very sick. And the rent day was coming up. And the poor man, he didn't have the money to pay the rent. All he had was a horse. And there was a horse fair in Kilrush that time. And the man, he didn't want to sell his horse because at the time, if you hadn't your horse, well, it was like selling your tractor today. How are you going to do your farm work? But, well, it was a different story. When the rent had to be paid, the horse had to be sold. And the neighbour asked the man I'm talking about, we call him Sean. He asked Sean, look, he said, I can't leave my wife, she's too sick, but is there any chance you take my horse to Kilrush and try try your best to sell the horse for me? You know the, the, the story. So he said he would, of course he would, he was a good neighbour. And early that morning of the fair, he set off. Now, saddle horse, I don't know whether the man who was selling the horse had a saddle or not, but he set off on a saddle anyway with the horse. And it was about uh, 12 or 13 miles to Kilrush. And he arrived, but it wasn't a great fair. And uh, he didn't sell. Now, if it was his own horse, he'd have come home because he was a good judge of fairs and he was a good judge of horses as well as cattle. And he knew he wasn't going to sell. But for the sake of his neighbour and his neighbour's wife, he stayed. And he stayed longer and longer and longer than he should have stayed. But eventually he had to come out of it. Now, this was in the fall of the year. And by the time he left, the town of Kilrush was getting dark. And by the time he was maybe four or five miles out of the town, there wasn't much light left in the sky. And he knew that it would be pitch dark entirely by the time he'd be most of the way home. So what he did was he came to a little road that would take maybe three miles off of his journey. It was wasn't much more than a boreen. There was grass growing in the middle of it. But he knew it. He knew all the roads around that part of the country, of course. But there were some of them he wouldn't travel in darkness because there were only, as I say, there were only boreens and this one was one of those. 
but he doesn't anywhere because, like I say, he more or less had to, and on he went. But after a couple of miles of that little road, he came to an S turn where there was a bridge, and the horse stopped dead. Dug in his two front hooves there, stopped dead. And anything Sean did, the horse wouldn't move. Now, as I told you, Sean was a great man with horses. He could talk to them and they'd obey him. But not this time. And he dismounted and he tried to he tried to coax the horse past the place. And he tried to pull the horse past the place by the reins. No chance. No way. Now, he didn't want to leave the horse there. So, there was nothing for it only to go back. And he was annoyed with himself because all he had done now was put extra miles on himself. But back he went. And by the time he got home, and explained himself to the neighbour. It was late, but his neighbour understood and thanked him very, very much for the trouble he had taken. They untackled the horse and stabled the horse and he went home. But it was preying on his mind, naturally enough. Why? Why? And a couple of days later, when he got a bit of time, he went back in daylight and had a look at the place and had a look at the little bridge and there was nothing in particular there. There was a bush growing nearby, all right, a white thorn bush. And there was a house near it. And of course he wondered why there was no light in the house that night because if he had noticed the light in the house that night He'd have asked, would there be any chance he could have left the horse there and he'd come back for the horse in the morning. But he noticed while he was there looking around that there was a man standing in the door of the house watching him. So after a little while the man came over to him and asked him, did you lose something? He didn't ask him who are you or anything else, but he just said to him, Do you lose something? Can I help you? And Sean told him his story, how he had been that way a few nights before, and the horse stopped and the rest of it. I told him the story through. Uh, said the man, You're not the first, you're not the first. And why, how do you mean, says Sean? And the man brought him in and gave him a cup of tea and he said to him, look, he said, about 20, 25 years ago, he said, just like yourself, a man was coming this way at night from that very place, he says. Something, something frightened his horse and the horse reared and threw him and he struck his head off of the corner of that bridge. And he was found dead there in the morning. And ever since, that isn't the right place. No horse, he says, will pass that place at night, no matter what. So, 
wanted to show you that horses they can see something they can see and sense something on the road or any place else at night and I often heard it from travelling people and they're the ones that surely should know that if you try to force a horse past a place like that you'll do damage to a horse because horses as well as dogs they know when there is something that isn't right now it was always said by the old people also that the rats could be sent to you <laughs> and as you know as i know rats are one of the most flourishing animal all over the world they say that anywhere you go there's a rat less than 10 feet away from you it's not a nice thought is it but it's true nonetheless rats are everywhere and their breed breed as fast as oh god only knows so you wouldn't want to be too squeamish when it comes to rats but as regards being able to send rats to you i was told a very odd story by a publican in innish diamond one time when there was fairs held in innish diamond and there are photos there are photos of the street of innish diamond being filled with people right up to the protestant church up at the top of the street in innish diamond of cattle and sheep and all the rest of it and it was a busy town that time, at the time when the West Clare Railway used to pass through it. A mighty busy town. It's still a busy town, but mainly today with passing traffic, mainly only that. But it was a market town, and you can see that by all the shop fronts in Innes Diamond, even to this very day. But when fairs were held there, you see, at that time in every town, boards had to be put up in the shop fronts so that cattle wouldn't put their, 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 their hooves through the windows and now not boards enough to darken the shops but you know three little planks maybe uh, and you sometimes can see the hooks in shops that haven't been too modernised where the planks would fit down into now this publican was telling me that every time a fair would come up he'd have those planks ready in the hallway but this particular fair was coming up and the fair which that mighty mighty early in the morning the cattle would be driven in maybe at six o'clock and he'd have the planks ready the night before to be put up and his wife would always remind him don't forget when she'd be going to bed oh god almighty did i ever forget him before no he'd say but this particular fair there was a crowd in and they were all locals of course and lord god he was thinking to himself would they ever go home lord god but of course you couldn't put out your locals because the fair might be only once a month or once every god knows when and that was fine but locals locals would be there every night but it was gone maybe to half past one and he'd have to be up at five o'clock to get ready to get ready for the fair but of course the lockers they were drifting away one by one by one and eventually he got to bed 
<laughs> but the wife anyway, she kicked him out of the bed at about five o'clock to put up the planks in the window, which he did. And he went back to bed just just to get another half hour sleep. But that, I, uh, he went out of bed again in time. But down he went. And uh, as he went down the, the stairs, he heard this pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter outside, coming down, down along the footpath. And he opened the door. Now, it was one of the doors, you know, that down, cracked down in the middle, the two halves would open, like a lot of the old-style doors. And he opened the door just a couple of inches to see, thinking to himself, yes, isn't somebody in very, very early to the fair, huh? They must be trying to get a good position in the street or something. Opened the door, and holy God almighty, what did he see coming down the footpath? Only this huge rat, as big as a terrier dog, and something around his neck, a kind of, a, a kind of, a, what would I call it, a string, and something hanging from it. And a big squad of rats after him. And of course he climbed, closed out the door immediately, and ran up the stairs, and looked out the window above, and he saw them passing. Holy Christ, he told me, he was an old warrior rat, because there was chunks took out of his fur, and bits took out of his tail, and sure enough, there was the string around his neck and a piece of paper tied to it below. Jesus, he said, I blessed myself and hoped that Christ they wouldn't come into me, because he had had the story, of course, that the rats could be sent to you, and if the rats were sent to you, you are in trouble. Because think of a crowd of rats like that, a squad of rats like that, into your shop and up on your shelves and peeing on your property. As your Lord God Almighty, how will your customers drink anything, or it was a shop, uh, buy anything from you after rats piss on it? Huh? Or if you were a farmer, huh? if they came into your hay, were your cattle going to eat hay like that, and, and rats pee on it? To ruin you, to ruin you. So be God anywhere, thanks be to God, he says, off down the footpath they went and out of sight, whoever they were going to. But... I tell you, he said, I got a fright. Later on, anyway, he opened up his doors and everything went all, all right. The fair went off all right, but it left him wondering. It left him wondering who had done it or where were they going. But I've heard stories like that many and many a time about the rats being sent to people and the person who could usually send them was a poet, a man who had command of words. And there's many stories from many parts of the country about poets sending the rats to people when they had been insulted. Now, the only thing about that is, of course, <laughs> if, like Pishogs, if you sent things like that to people, ah, there was always a charm against it. And I heard a very, very ugly happening like that in Fenor, up in northwest Clare of a man that the rats had been sent to. He found out about it, and lucky for him, there was a man with a charm against the rats in the parish. And of course, he went to the man, he went to the man with the charm against the rats. And the man, calm down, calm down, he says, we'll sort this out. And he did. And how he did it was, he got a razor, 
one of the old cutthroat razors, not the tea razors we use now. And he came back to the man's house. Now obviously he was a man who knew his business. And he looked around him and he said, ah, they'll be coming from that direction. And he pointed. And what'll, what'll we do so? Said the man. Calm down, I told you, he said. And what he did was, he put the razor, sank it in the ground, uh, with the edge up, with the sharp edge up. Now he said, come back here with me. And they went back into a clump of bushes and waited. And sure enough, here came the rats. And a huge, big rat, once more the size of a dog, a small dog, leading them, and around his neck a string, and tied to the string a piece of paper, and maybe a dozen or fifteen rats after him, and they pitter-patter, pitter-patter towards your man's house. Now, when they were maybe ten, twelve feet away, the man with the charm, he said to your other man, the farmer, stay there, stay there, he says, and he stood out in front of the rats and he started reciting words that your man didn't understand but he started reciting and the rats stopped dead. They stopped dead and then he recited louder and louder and louder in the same words. Now the farmer didn't understand what they were. Maybe they were Latin, maybe they were Greek. He couldn't understand what the words were but all he said to me was, have a dog, he said. Have. Did you ever take that dog, he said, on a walk, and he didn't want to go with you? Many a time, I said. Well, twas like that with the big rat. The more your man recited, the more he pulled back and back and back and didn't want to come and come, but he had to, towards the razor. And the man kept reciting, the man with the charm, until the big rat came to the razor, the sharp razor that was sharp side up. And when he came to the razor, and your man all the time reciting, he had to put down his neck on the razor and rub it across the razor, the sharp edge of the razor, until he cut his neck, cut his throat on the razor. And the blood flowed from him. And the minute it did, the other rats, the squad of them, they let a screech out of them and they scattered to the four winds. And I was watching him, said the man, and I terrified. And the big rat, when the last squirm was out of him and he was dead, the man with the charm said to me, No, he said. Pick up that piece of paper. And the rat's blood was on it. And do you think I wanted to pick it up? Said the man to me. I didn't want to. But he said, pick it up. Pick it up and open it. And I did. I did. <laughs> Opened it. And what was written on it? But my name and my address. Holy God Almighty. I thought to myself would do it. It had to be a neighbour of my own that did it because who else, who else would know my name and address so clear?
He didn't tell me who did it, but I had a fair idea, a man who had bad mind for me. But I tell you, I got no more of them. I got no more of them. Once he knew that I knew, and I thanked your man, I thanked him sincerely, and I wanted to pay him, but he didn't take no money from me. So, so, it could be done, and was done. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.